Welcome back. This is Mrs. Peoples. I'm reading McGraw, Beware of Dog by Bob Babylon. Um, I went a little long yesterday, and so we're picking up in chapter eight. Except for the fact that the dog still had no idea if he would ever see the old, the smelly old lady again, he was having a terrific time. When they arrived home, Nurse Leona and Doc Minderbinder were standing smack in front of Thomas's doorstep. Nurse Leona tapped her tiny foot impatiently. She carried a leash that was made of metal links. It looked like it weighed about 10 pounds. Good news, big boy, said the oversized nurse with a sly grin on her face. We're taking you home. Thomas looked around. It took um, him a moment to realize that she was referring to McGraw. She started to make a strange series of vaguely musical sounds. She couldn't carry much of a tune, but Thomas thought he recognized a couple of mangled bars of My Favorite Things from The Sound of Music. She attached the leash to McGraw's collar and started walking the reluctant animal back down the driveway. Doc Minderbinder leaned down to whisper confidentially into Thomas, and both children recoiled. His breath smelled like formaldehyde. We managed to locate the dog's rightful owners, he said nearly bowling them both over. Isn't that wonderful? Thomas didn't say a word. Little Susie and Cicely are sitting in my office even as we speak. He continued, such sweet sisters. The doctor's voice sounded remarkably like a snake hissing. Thomas didn't think the doctor's news sounded so wonderful. Looking mockingly at Thomas and Violet, he said, many thanks for returning the dog and the condition in which you found him. I am most grateful. The doctor gave a little bow and then practically danced down the driveway as he caught up with Nurse Leona and the dog. The odd-looking couple did a little jig as they turned onto the sidewalk, dragging McGraw along with them. McGraw turned to look back at the children with an expression that seemed to beg for help. Nurse Leona just hummed louder and pulled more tightly at the leash, forcing the dog back into a heel position. McGraw was in danger, clear, clearly. Doc Minderbinder and his nurse were not the kindly people they pretended to be. Clearly, Thomas had to do something about it. Chapter 9, Working on the Chain Gang McGraw's desperate plea for help still lingered in Thomas's mind. He was determined to pay a visit to Minderbinders tonight before something awful befell his new furry friend. What do you think they're up to, Violet queried. Don't think about it, Thomas replied tersely. Violet continued undaunted. I heard once about a ring of thieves who stole dogs and made fur coats out of them. She frequently got her news from the National Enquirer. Fortunately, most of the facts she gathered were completely unfounded. I can't imagine that's what's happening to McGraw. Imagine it, she replied dramatically. Thomas and Violet spent a couple of minutes messing up Mrs. Wiggins' kitchen so that they would so that she would think they were getting ready to start work on their science project. They pulled out several drawers and sprinkled around a number of small paper cups that she used for baking mini souffles. Thomas's mother finally came in to see what they were up to. She gasped when she found them opening cans of her favorite imported water chestnuts and throwing away the contents. They explained that they would be using the empty containers as beakers. When she heard 
they were on their way to Violet's house to complete the project, she was so relieved she didn't even ask where McGraw was. Thomas told his mother not to expect him home in time for dinner. She, He said that 40% of their science grade would be determined by this project, and he and Violet might be working well into the night. The two of them rushed off to Violet's house. When they got there, Violet threw on a sweater and earmuffs that were conveniently resting on the arm of her mother's whatnot chair. Then they snuck out of the house, being careful not to step on Alicia, who was snoozing on the floor in front of the television set. Now they were ready to begin their quest. They headed straight for Minder Binders. Thomas wasn't certain McGraw would even be there, and it, but it did seem a logical place to begin the search. He was having a hard time getting Violet's fur coat theory out of his head. What he wondered, what were those two, what he, what he wondered were those two up to? And what use could they possibly have with McGraw? Thomas held the little heart-shaped dog tag tightly to his, in his fist and ran his thumb down the ragged edge. He didn't know why, but a familiar image of an old woman who smelled like flowers popped into his head, and then he started worrying about McGraw all over again. Where was he? Thomas listened for a sign of some kind from the dog. He concentrated with all his might, but the place in his head reserved for incoming telepathic messages was disturbingly blank. What Thomas didn't know was that the dog couldn't send him a message. He couldn't jump out a window, and he couldn't pull down the wall either. He couldn't climb a tree if his life depended on it. At that very moment, McGraw was trapped in Doc Minderbinder's basement, and there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. The doctor had devised a devilish contraption that robbed McGraw of his newly minted powers and reduced him temporarily to a friendly, rather obedient, and completely ordinary dog. At the moment, he was chained to a radiator, scratching a particularly ir irritating flea that had taken up residence on his left haunch and wondered when dinner would be served. When Nurse Leona had slipped the metal chain over McGraw's head and led him away from Thomas's house, Thomas and Violet had failed to notice that there was a thin wire cable threaded through the, its links. The wily nurse intended to use the doctor's newest invention, a portable anti-electromagnet. By pressing firmly on the side of her tote bag, she triggered a switch that activated a stream of powerful but invisible electrons. These subatomic negative particles streamed through the wire cable that ran around the dog's neck, temporarily undoing McGraw's amazing abilities. Rumors of the cataclysmic event at the power plant had reached the doctor, and when he witnessed the dog's amazing prowess, he quickly put two and two together. In this case, two and two added up to a whole lot more than four. Why was the dog, even a dog with superpower, so important to somewhat unorthodox veterinarian? The doctor needed the dog because he had a plan. He was going to take over Cedar Springs. He had hatched his wicked plan when he was a small child. Minderbinder, whose actual name is Milton Smudge, was born under a dark star. Some people are just born bad. Milton was one of those people. He stole from the class treasury and never even brushed his teeth. 
He resented other people when they were happy and decided that when he grew up, he would make everyone's life as miserable as possible. So far, he was doing a pretty good job. The doctor was patient. He would accomplish his monstrous goal one block at a time. As Doc Minderbinder stood on the landing at the top of the stairs leading down to the darkest little basement where McGraw was hidden, he felt a surge of excitement. He would achieve his goal, he felt certain. Once he harnessed the unlimited and amazing powers of a dog like McGraw, nothing and no one could stand in his evil way. He put an arm around Nurse Leona's shoulder and gave a little involuntary squeeze. The gesture signified how happy, how absolutely mad with power the doctor felt by to be standing on the brink of complete and utter domination of the town. It certainly didn't signify the beginning of a new and glorious phase in their relationship, as Nurse Leona mistakenly assumed. Congratulations, Smudgy, the nurse beamed. The doctor enjoyed neither the nickname nor the familiar familiarity of the tone in which the round woman spoke. If you ever call me that again, you'll be out on the street so fast you won't know what happened to you. Nurse Leona decided to think of the criticism as affectionate banter. And then the doctor rushed outside to finish preparing a large rectangular box that was sitting half completed in the middle of the tiny backyard behind the offices. Doc Minderbinder grabbed a handful of specialized tools, many of which had been designed by him in his very own laboratory, and started working feverishly to complete the contraption that took up most of the yard. It resembled a large cage, which indeed it was. It was quite sturdy and weighed at least a ton. Between its thick metal bars, evenly spaced, hollow aluminum tubes ran up and down and sideways every couple of inches. A series of cables, just like the ones that ran through the leash Leona, Nurse Leona had put around McGraw to disable him, ran through the tubes. A massive extension cord snaked its way from the side of the cage over to yet another large anti-electromagnet. Clearly, the doctor intended to put something tremendously powerful inside the cage and was taking great precautions to ensure that once it was in, it would never escape. Poor McGraw. What a terrible series of coincidences had conspired to bring him to Doc Minderbinders that fateful, fateful night. If only he hadn't encountered Thomas and Violet in the ravine, if only it hadn't been raining, if only Mr. McCarthy's truck hadn't run over the dog, if only the real Doc Minderbinder hadn't been sent out of town on a wild goose chase, enabling a wicked, a wicked imposter to move effortlessly into his office and take over his life. The nameless stranger Thomas had come to distrust was not a doctor of any kind. He was a brilliant, he was brilliant and he knew a lot about medicine, but that was where the similarities ended. When you're planning to take over your city, you make it your business to know a lot about everything. Doctors wanted to heal the world and make it a better place. The stranger posing as Doc Minderbinder wanted to control the town for his own nefarious purposes and didn't much care who or what was injured along the way. The imposter had done a topographical study of the neighborhood and covered 
and discovered that the real Doc Minderbinder's office was sitting directly on top of what appeared to be one of the largest untapped deposits of oil and shale in the Midwest. He decided then and there that a well was to be dug. If indeed oil was as plentiful as the study indicated, he would simply find a way to get rid of the bet forever. He would then use the money from the well to fund his dastardly efforts. Nurse Leona, who was no more a nurse than he was a doctor, was disguised as a game show host and sent to Doc Minderbinder's office with an urgent message. She informed the kindly doctor that he was the lucky winner of an all-expense-paid vacation to French Lake, Indiana, a delightful, although isolated spa about 70 miles north of Cedar Springs. She punctuated the announcement by pulling out a small plastic trumpet from her purse and playing a few par bars of Hail the Chief very badly. The doctor and his charming wife, the message continued, had been selected in a randomly, random drawing from all the veterinarians in the area and their immediate families. If Doc Minderbinder had had his thinking cap on, he might have realized that he was the only veterinarian in the area. It might also have occurred to him that when game show hosts arrive at your door carrying prizes, they generally are accompanied by a television crew, but excitement had momentarily blinded the kindly doctor and neither he nor his wife registered anything but happiness at the prospect of a free vacation. Nurse Leona pulled out the trumpet again and foolishly attempted to complete the flight of the bumblebee in less than 60 seconds, damaging her lips in the process. Exhausted and no longer able to speak, she handed the enthusiastic couple an oversized check and the keys to the town of French Lick, which were, in truth, the keys to absolutely nowhere. The doctor and his wife were off like a shot. Meanwhile, the ersatz doctor, who had who was hiding behind a nearby tree during the entire presentation, and the ersatz nurse, Leona, moved in like a couple of mockingbirds. They were masters of disguise and had, through the clever application of makeup and certain prosthetic devices, turned themselves into reasonable facsimiles of the actual doctor and his wife, the real nurse Leona. Night was falling. Thomas and Violet took the shortest path, shortcut past the library and were practically galloping when Thomas's seven-year-old cousin, Stewie Wiggins, and his mom, Molly Wiggins, turned the corner and nearly ran right into them. Stewie, tell Thomas where you've just been. The last thing in the world Thomas needed was to hear about the incredibly long and boring story of his Aunt Molly's trip to an Indian reservation in Minnesota. But Thomas knew better than to rush his aunt. She was basically nice, and when she, was, when she had a story to tell, nothing could bring her to an early conclusion. Tom and ju Thomas just stood there waiting for the story to wind down and gritted his teeth and worried about McGraw. Um, chapter 10 is called Escape, and that'll be on 133. Have a good day, and I will talk to you tomorrow.